Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look back at the 2022 FIFA World Cup as Morocco reached the semi-finals. Is this a breakthrough that will see other African teams doing well at future World Cups? This Moroccan achievement takes, you know, they take a whole continent on their shoulders with them, um, and I think it gives everybody huge, huge confidence. That's coming shortly. Plus, we have the second part of our interview with Kaká, World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002, and the 2007 World Player of the Year. And while the World Cup might be over, the English Premier League is back, and we look ahead to the upcoming games. Let's start with the FIFA rankings after the World Cup, where Morocco have jumped up 11 places from number 22 to number 11 in the world after their great showing in Qatar. Cameroon have moved up 10 places to number 33 after they beat Brazil in their last group game. So Africa's top five: Morocco, number one, and 11 in the world; Senegal, number two in Africa, and 19 in the world; Tunisia, three in Africa, 30 in the world; Cameroon, a fourth in Africa, and 33rd in the world; and Nigeria, fifth in Africa, and 35 in the world. So what a World Cup it was in Qatar, with Argentina beating France in one of the best finals ever.、Uh, more on that later. Morocco, of course, lost two-one to Croatia in the third-place match, so the Atlas Lions were fourth. That's the best finish ever for an African team at the World Cup, with no other team from the continent having got beyond the quarter-finals previously. And while 2018 was Africa's worst ever World Cup, with all five teams going out at the group stage in Russia, this is Africa's best ever World Cup, with eight victories for the continent, two teams in the knockout stage for only the second time, an African team in the semi-finals for the first time, and three wins over previous champions: Cameroon beating Brazil, Tunisia beating France, and Morocco beating Spain. Well, South African journalist and commentator Mark Leeson is regarded as the voice of African football. He spoke to the Kasafa podcast from Qatar, and was asked whether this is a watershed moment for Africa at the World Cup. Whether this is a breakthrough that will lift other African teams. I think it's a watershed in the sense of it, it. It gives everybody a belief now. Remember, next World Cup is 48 teams in North America. There'll be nine African sides. There might be a tenth. Through the playoffs, and I think every single one of them will have Morocco as the reference point, and they will go to that World Cup. A lot of them will. There's a possibility that a few of them might be for the first time, or certainly for a, for the first time in a long while. They will go to that World Cup、uh, believing that they could do as well as Morocco did. I think it's been a huge game changer for African football, just in terms of the mindset. Remember, Russia was an absolute failure four years ago. The fact that.、Um, Not a single African side made it through to the second round, and there's been a lot of、um, discussion over the last four years about that. There's been a, a lot of concern in African football about where Africa is going. Why is it not pushing forward in the way that many people predicted it would? So this this Moroccan achievement takes you know they take a whole continent on their shoulders with them,、um, and I think it gives everybody huge huge confidence. 
Well, that's legendary South African journalist and commentator Mark Leeson speaking to the Kasafa podcast. Uh, so would you agree, Ida? Um, I certainly wouldn't want to disagree with Mark, but uh, while Morocco's achievement is inspiring, they did it with hard work and planning and good organisation. Well, on the other hand, Cameroon had yet another World Cup affected by disorganization. Well, I do agree with Mark on one hand. Is it a watershed moment, Steve, from a perspective of mindset? Absolutely. I mean, for decades, no African team had gone beyond the quarters. And to go from that all the way to fourth was simply incredible. So, yes, there is a genuine belief, at least now, that if an African team could do that in Qatar, then... An African team could do that or even better at a future World Cup. On the other hand, Steve, if wishes were horses, then beggars would ride. And as we've mentioned in the course of the World Cup, Morocco's success, actually, it wasn't the biggest surprise if you take in all their preparation into account. Preps of a decade plus, you know, including organization and investment at the highest levels and across both men and women's football. So, look, if countries think that they can just wish their way to the top, then they're in for a rude awakening. As we all saw with uh, Cameroon's in-house drama, for example, that you've mentioned there. And in previous big tournaments, you know, we've seen African teams take part and then demand for unpaid dues mid-competition, go on strikes. I mean, a team needs to be a well-oiled machine, Steve all the way from the federation level, all the way to the players. And that is what it takes to get to the levels that Morocco has. Yes, the Moroccan Federation putting in a lot of work in recent years. Uh, So there'll be at least nine African teams at the next World Cup. Uh, Can we see another great tournament for Africa? Uh, That statistic in Qatar of Cameroon beating Brazil, uh, Tunisia beating France and Morocco beating Spain, uh, certainly inspiring, Ida. Well, Steve, before I get into Africa's chances at the next World Cup, I think it's important to also set the context straight for those wins that we saw from some of the African teams in Qatar, especially Cameroon's victory over Brazil and uh, Tunisia's over France. And look, while there may be some who think that I'm being negative, it does have to be said, Steve, that while these wins were definitely a step in the right direction, that they also came against very subdued teams, you know, where we saw up to nine changes made, for example, in the French team when they faced the North Africans. Listen, while decades from now, all that will matter or be remembered even is the result on paper, you know, that an African team beat a world giant. Steve, my hope is that the continent's teams can one day go toe-to-toe with the world's big teams at full strength and maybe even nick a draw if not a win. Because African teams aren't always going to face the Brazils and France when these big teams have nothing to lose, you know, having already qualified for the next round and able to drop some players. No, that's not always going to be the case. 
But focusing on the 2026 World Cup, well, with four more slots allocated to Africa, it will definitely give a chance to some of the teams who have been falling short, you know, to grace the world stage. You know, the likes of Egypt, Nigeria, Ivory Coast and Algeria definitely come to mind. And look, you never know, it might give a chance for a lesser known underdog to just shock the continent and make it through. It will be interesting as well to see how some of these teams transition. You look at Morocco, for example, and they do have, you know, a relatively young team. But for the likes of Senegal and Cameroon, they have been relying on some of their older players. So it will be interesting to see how this shift translates for the teams. And Steve, I don't think we can talk about this without discussing the issue of Africa's underrepresentation at the World Cup. I mean, for a continent that provides over a quarter of the member associations in FIFA, the slots could be more. You know, it's definitely a step up from 5 to 10, but it's also a step up for Europe from 13 to 16, you know. Conmebol, for example, has just 10 member associations, but is now guaranteed that six will be at the World Cup with the potential for a seventh through the playoff tournament meaning that 70% of South America could compete. The most that Africa has had at the World Cup was six in 2010. That was when uh, South Africa was host. We had Nigeria, Cameroon, Algeria, Ghana, and Ivory Coast finish that tally. So look, basically, as the slots increase for Africa, Steve, so do they for other confederations. It won't be a given that Africa will do well. Africa has to work for it. And if the continent can draw inspiration from Morocco and lay out an effective strategy, I don't see why Africa can't shock the world again. Yeah, sure. If uh, federations are, are organized around the continent. Yeah. Thanks, Aida. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to social media. Last week, we asked, what's your assessment of how Africa performed at this edition of the World Cup? Do you think Morocco's run all the way to the semi-finals is a sign that African football has progressed? Let's start with those who are pleased with the Atlas Lions and King Midas in Ghana says it's fantastic and historic. Akul Bol in South Sudan says very impressive. Bintu Yusuf in Nigeria says we're proud of you. And Felix Nex in Rwanda says Africa, we are the best. Bono and Hakim Ziyech were great. Felix there referring to Morocco goalkeeper Bono and their forward Hakim Ziyech. Uh, but Conte Mohammed in Sierra Leone says Africa should stop settling for less. We should have been in the final had Morocco played seriously. And Belong Baji in the Gambia says where there are quality and experienced players, much is required rather than just a single team reaching the semi-finals. I think improvement is needed, especially in a shooting and passing. Also, scrappy defending should be avoided and also teams holding on to possession for too long, says Balong. Others, though, who are pleased include Danny Paul Pierre Mems in the Gambia, saying Morocco represented Africa well. Uh, Abel in Ethiopia says Africa did well compared to the last World Cup. And Gurmi Letzer says it's a good example that if our football leaders dream big and make sure they make a mark during their time in charge, they will go somewhere. Great work by the Morocco Football Association, says Gurmi. 
Kabambo GZ in Malawi says very impressive overall since every African team managed to win a game at the World Cup. And finally, Sedeko Suno in the Gambia says very impressive performance from the African teams. They've improved the status of their players and their national team because、uh, they all played at the same level with these European countries. Morocco did really well and made Africa proud. And there's always next time, says Sedeko. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Always great to hear from you. And this week on social media, asking what are your footballing highs and lows of 2022? So, with the year coming to a close, what were your highs and lows in the world of football? Could be with your favourite club, with your national team, or other memorable moments. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What are your footballing highs and lows of 2022? We love to hear from you. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is PlanetSport.tv.、Uh, there, you can read Russ Bravo's World Cup blogs, including why we need to expect the unexpected, and also penalties and the route to glory.、Uh, that's in the blog section of our website, PlanetSport.tv. Well, now to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK.、Uh, so, Stuart, was this the best World Cup ever? Well, Steve, there's controversy over Qatar hosting the World Cup, but judging it purely on a football spectacular, I thought, as I've said in my previews, that it had a lot going for it, and I thought the country did brilliantly, as did the 32 teams. And I mean, just running through the World Cup, I thought there were more. Exciting games in the group stages, with apparently 27 of 32 still involved in the final game. And of course, we had the drama of poor old Mexico, Uruguay, and Germany equal in points, but going out in goal difference. We had the shock results: Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Japan beating Germany. And going through the knockout stages. I think it's hard to argue with the view that Argentina and France were the two best teams. But even then, the margins are so small because Argentina needed penalties to beat Netherlands, and England were only one missed penalty from taking France at least into extra time. And Steve, we can't really talk about anything without bringing up VAR. But I thought the refereeing and the use of VAR were generally very good. And one great example in the final. Was that the linesman thought there had been an offside in the build-up to Messi's goal in extra time, but under the new protocol, he allowed play to continue, only putting his flag up when the ball was in the net. When VAR correctly ruled that there had been no offside, and of course a few years ago, that would have been stopped, the flag would have gone up, and the goal would not have been scored. And while We can all think of one or two incidents where the officials got it wrong. I think generally the decision making was excellent, and my only criticism is games lasting two hours. You know, I think there were eighteen times when the fourth official held up a board saying nine minutes or longer. And there's certainly a strong case for saying that the final was the best ever. Argentina were dominant, leading for over an hour before the Mbappe show. With two goals in the last ten minutes and one an extra time, and you know, Steve, when England went out, 
to a missed penalty. There was a lot of debate here in England as to whether Harry Kane should have taken the second penalty. Well, don't tell Mbappe, who scored two penalties during the game and a third one in the shootout. I suppose my only major reservation is that after 64 games, it all comes down to a penalty shootout where luck as well as skill plays a role. When I was a child, drawn games used to be replayed. But now, of course, with TV schedules, demands on players, that's no longer realistic. So I think it was probably the best World Cup ever and probably the best final ever. But, Steve, I wouldn't be me if I didn't have a few statistics for you. Let's start with Lionel Messi. This was his 26th game at the World Cup Finals, the most by any player. His fifth World Cup Finals. It was the 17th time he'd been on the winning team in a World Cup Finals game. No one else has more victories. Messi has also been involved in more World Cup goals than any player, with 13 goals and 8 assists. And he's the first player doing it this time to score in the round of the last 16, the quarterfinals, the semifinals and the final. We had two Premier League goalkeepers in the final, Martinez of Aston Villa and Hugo Lloris, playing his 20th World Cup game, a record for a goalkeeper. Mbappe was the leading goalscorer, but only just because Messi and Mbappe had each scored five before the World Cup final kicked off. Messi scored, that's 6-5 to him, and Mbappe scored twice, 7-6 to Mbappe. Messi scores to make it 7-all, and then in the 118th minute, Mbappe scores to be the leading goalscorer in the World Cup. Well, such an exciting tournament and uh, the Messi-Ronaldo debate uh, raged on on who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, uh, with Messi having finally won the World Cup and he gave Ronaldo a beating on social media uh, with that picture of him with the trophy becoming the most liked Instagram post ever. Although, uh, as you say, this uh, all hinged on Argentina winning a penalty shootout to uh, doing it uh, by the finest of margins. Uh, so much to talk about at the FIFA World Cup, but uh, the football just keeps on coming. Stuart, and the English Premier League is back next Monday. Well, Steve, if you've been missing Premier League football, you'll be all right next week because starting on the 26th of December, there will be Premier League football action on nine of the next ten days. Next week, there are seven games on Monday, another three on Tuesday and Wednesday. You're going to be struggling on Thursday, but then a full programme Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday as we move into the new year. But I think it'll be really fascinating to see what the games are like, because it's almost like the start of a new season. It's six weeks since Premier League clubs last played a league game. And there have been a lot of developments in that time. Take Southampton at home to Brighton. That will be Nathan Jones' first league game in charge of Southampton, having been appointed during the World Cup break. Uh, This week he saw Southampton struggle uh, to a 2-1 League Cup win over Lincoln City and I think Brighton will give him sterner opposition and Jones won't need any reminding that Southampton are currently sitting in the bottom three Brighton may or may not have a World Cup winner in their team Alexis McAllister was last heard about celebrating with his teammates in Buenos Aires and his manager Roberto Di Zerbi apparently has told him to stay as long as he needs to Again, you might ask whether he might 
struggled to motivate himself in an away game at Southampton when his last game was helping Messi to win the World Cup. And another question for Brighton is whether they'll be able to hold on to McAllister, who's, who may well find himself getting offers from some of the top teams in Europe after his superb performances in Qatar. Manchester United beat Burnley this week in the League Cup with Marcus Rashford scoring a spectacular goal at the end of a 50-metre run. And Rashford, incidentally, was one of five United players back from the World Cup and back in action. I'm wondering, Steve, when uh, the Tottenham players get on the bus to drive across London to play Brentford, assuming the two players are, are back, I wonder if Christian Romero will rush to sit next to his captain, Hugo Lloris because the two were on opposite sides in the World Cup final. And then there's Harry Kane. How quickly will he recover from the trauma of missing that penalty? Something else, Steve, I know that you've been missing Premier League VAR. Well, it has been announced that a review of 48 VAR decisions this season has shown that 42 correct interventions were made and there were six significant errors. The most controversial one involved two Africans. Uh, you probably recall the Chelsea-West Ham game when the Ivorian Maxwell Corney put the ball in the net for West Ham only to have it ruled out for a foul on Chelsea Senegalese goalkeeper Edward Mendy. But many of us thought at the time it was a terrible decision and that has now been acknowledged. Wow, so uh, VAR proved to be uh, not perfect there then. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the second part of an interview from our archives with Kaká, a World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002 and the 2007 World Player of the Year. Well, Kaká is now retired after a career that saw him play for AC Milan and Real Madrid. He played at three World Cups and was much loved across Africa. Also, Kaká was very open about his faith as a follower of Jesus. Last week, he told us about his memories of winning the World Cup and how he had a neck injury two years earlier that could have ended his career. Well, in this part, we hear about Kaká's faith as he spoke to Stuart, first about how he became a follower of Jesus. As I said before, I didn't have a specific conversion experience. I was born and raised in a Christian home with biblical values. My parents always taught me the Bible and its values, and also about Jesus Christ and faith. Little by little, I stopped simply hearing people talk about the Jesus my parents taught me, because there came a time when I wanted to live my own experiences with God. I had to live my own experiences with God. One of these experiences with God was when I was baptized at the age of 12. This was a very important step in my walk with Jesus. And soon after, many things began to happen in my life where I could experience God in a real way. It makes me happy to read the Bible every day, to study it, and to be in fellowship with God and learn more and more about Jesus. I think that I need Jesus every day of my life. Jesus tells me in the Bible that without him, I can't do anything. What I believe is that without Jesus, we can't do anything. 
The gift and capacity I have today to play football is because God gave it to me. It's a gift from God that I try to improve on every day, but without him, or if one day he doesn't want me to play anymore, I will not play. The day he wants me to do something else, I will do that something else. And this is why I need Jesus in my life every day. Kaká also explains the difference that Jesus makes in his life. A diferença que Jesus faz na minha vida é que eu sei que eu sempre vou ter vitória. The difference Jesus makes in my life is that I know that I will always have victory. I will always have joy. And I will always have success. This is regardless of the situations I face or will face, because I know that in the end there will be great victory. This brings me great peace, serenity, tranquility, and happiness because I am sure that Jesus is in control of my life. I know that he is like a father who doesn't want anything bad for his child, and he only wants the best for me and for those around me, including my family. And Kaká was also asked why he reads the Bible and how relevant it is to his life. Oh, a Bíblia, eh, eu costumo falar para os meus amigos, para as pessoas que não entendem o que é a Bíblia, é que I usually tell my friends and people who ask that the Bible is like the user's manual that comes when you buy a product. The Bible is like a user's manual because it has everything we need in it. It tells us the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do, which is very fundamental to me. I try to read the Bible every day in order to learn more and more about the spiritual world about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit, by searching through the Bible and getting to know God more and more. More than anything else, I need Jesus in my life. As I have said before, I am successful in my financial life and in my professional life, but all this has come from God and is a gift of grace from Him for my life. All that I have, I thank Him for. No matter where I stand financially, professionally, or with my family, I need Jesus most of all and need to learn more about Him. No, I will never stop following Him. And Kaká was asked to explain the good news of Jesus in his own words. Na minha vida, Jesus faz toda a diferença. Jesus makes all the difference in my life. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We all sin, and Jesus died to free us from that sin. This is the certainty I have and that we all can have every day of our lives. We have a Father who loves us and has a plan for us. Jesus came to earth as a man, or God in the form of man, to show us that through the power of his Holy Spirit, we can have victory over evil. This is the truth of the gospel and the good news that Jesus Christ is the one true Savior. And what would he say to someone who rejects Jesus because they think that Christians are hypocrites? In a discussion with a group of Pharisees, Jesus told them, 
You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When people tell me they reject Jesus because of hypocrisy, I share this verse with them because I believe that if people knew the power of God and the scriptures, they would not reject Jesus. They can really know and experience God. I'm not talking about a fairy tale God. I'm talking about a God that I experience and who changed my life and who changes and transforms my life every day in a very real way. This is not about a legend or a bedtime story, but real experiences I have had and continue to have. Well, that is Kaká, World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002 and the 2007 World Player of the Year, speaking about his football and his faith as a follower of Jesus. Right, before we go from the team here at Planet Sport Football Africa, we all hope that you and your family have kept safe and well this year. This weekend, along with many around the world, we'll be celebrating Christmas, a special time for followers of Jesus. One of the names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So to all of our friends, whether you follow one particular faith or none, may we wish you a very happy and peaceful Christmas. And we look forward to your company in 2023 here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.